everybody and welcome to the second most highly anticipated sit down of the week. It's the uh, it's the Table 442 podcast back after a week off. I uh, I failed a late fitness test last week but thankfully back and ready to go again for episode 8 with my man Aaron Pretty. How are you doing Aaron? Yes, I'm good. Thank you mate. Glad to be back. How are you? Yeah, not bad mate. Um I think like we were we were really excited about last week's episode in terms of the content because we had some really good discussions going in the WhatsApp group. So we've spoken about this, haven't we? And we think we're basically going to do last week's episode this week. Yeah. Um, kind of skirt over a lot of developments that have happened in the Premier League since, and do like a big catch, big Premier League uh, results, Championship, whatever, Champions League catch up next week. To, mm-hmm. to make up for that. So this is effectively, the opening segment effectively will be last week on WhatsApp. Um, but I do think we've got some some good talking points. Sorry, all those out there that don't like the Spurs chat. It's We've got more Spurs chat this week. Uh, and then an interesting one um, relating to international football and uh, uh, a report about Aaron Wan-Bissaka's international future and that led us down a bit of a garden path to do with discussing all things England. And then we're going to finish with a fun bind 11 related to England as well and um, undercapped England internationals, which should be interesting. Um, but we'll start with last week on WhatsApp and um, a discussion about Tottenham, which in the end got quite contentious. So it might be good that we've had a week off. Yeah, because- a bit time to cool down. Yeah, a bit of time to go down because I'm not pointing any fingers, but one of us got really childish and petulant about it. And <laughs> no, no spoilers, but it wasn't Aaron. Um, so um, I think you know, we're, we're going to start off with this this debate about Spurs, which obviously I'm a Spurs fan, I, I get passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the argument was was basically that I think Spurs have massively overachieved over the last 10 years. And Aaron doesn't. So I, I'm not. In fact, Aaron, you paint your position. Cause I don't want to say that you feel we've underachieved or been level or whatever. <laughs> but you disagreed with the fact that I said that we massively overachieved. Yeah. So again, want to sort of start this with anything I say is not putting Spurs down. As a neutral, I really like Spurs. Admire them. They're one of the teams that if they're on Sky, I look forward to watching them. Play exciting football. Develop young players terrifically basically a club ran in the right way. So anything that I say is, is not in any way to run Tottenham down. It's a club that I really respect and could only dream of Middlesbrough ever being half as successful and as half of the size of Tottenham. But what I agreed with, I think, was the, the words were, were massively overachieved in the last 10 years. And I just, I don't think you have. I think undoubtedly you've progressed as a club in the last 10 years. Um, but I don't see that you've massively overachieved, basically. Um, you've, your average league position has increased by sort of four places. You've got to one final and won nothing. Um, in that time, spent over 600 million. You've got a team full of internationals and the best, arguably the best player in the league and arguably the best striker in the world in your team. Um, I don't see what you've done as massively overachieving in that time. I do think it's progression, but I don't think it's a massive overachievement. So you would argue that the, dis- the, the, the the description I gave was wrong, the wording I used was wrong? Yeah, arguably, yeah, possibly. I, I undoubtedly agree that you've um, advanced as a club 
and it probably moves to the next level. You've got the best stadium in the world, a team full of internationals. Um, you're, you're on a different playing field to where you were 10 years ago. Um, I do think part of that is this football moved on and the, the money in football now is, is insane and only a few clubs can sort of really... I know you're not at the top end of spending with the likes of United and City and that, but you are in a sort of... You're the ninth richest club in the world. You're in a position where, if needed, you are able to splash the cash a bit. Um, yeah. And I just think, yeah, you've moved on and you have progressed as a club. I don't, I, I wouldn't agree that you've massively overachieved. Yeah, I, I get that. And in terms of especially Tottenham are a completely different club now than they were 10 years ago. So if you look at, if you look at it like kind of through a prism of where we are now and the stature of club we are now and look at back 10 years at what, we've achieved you would say I think we've underachieved but if you look at where we were 10 years ago I think the consistency in league position mm -hmm. the reaching the, the knockout stage of the Champions League four times um, is something that Tottenham have never really done consistently through their through their history so they've t typically been a cup side winning a, like kind of averaging a trophy every about eight years so, yeah, maybe in terms of winning trophies, we've underachieved. But this is the most successful, most consistent period in Tottenham's league history. So, I think, you know, I don't want to be that guy about the, the, the pedantic nature of it, but let's have a look at the de definition of overachieve, right? <laughs> Which is, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, I cringe <laughs> saying it, but I had to check. So, it basically says that to do better than expected, which that debated whether Tottenham have done better than expected, like through that prism of kind of like, you know, they're a big club now, they should be winning trophies, mm -hmm. etc. But I think the key element is like to achieve more than standard or usual. So if we look back at what's standard or usual for Tottenham, average league position, the 10 years prior, like you said, it's gone up four places. It was 8.7 before, it's, or basically ninth. It's now basically four and a half for, mm -hmm. for the 10 years gone. From 1961 onwards, last time we won the league, by the way, we finished in the top three ten times, but three of those have been in the last five years. Clearly, clearly an, an improvement. Yeah. We, hadn't played, we hadn't played in the European Cup since 1962. European Cup, of course, now the Champions League. Mm -hmm. So to go from not playing in it from, from 62 to playing in it in five of the last ten seasons and reaching the knockout stages four times in that period and reaching a final is definitely achieving more than standard or usual. So we've finished in the top six in the Premier League 10 times, 11 times in a row, actually, and had previously only finished in it three um, in three seasons since 1992. So I don't think you can argue that Tottenham haven't achieved more than standard or usual in the last 10 years. Yeah, I agree. And I agree that that sort of might be the dictionary definition of overachieving. But I think in a footballing term... It's used very differently. So, yeah, yeah you've that. undoubtedly, like I say, undoubtedly made progress. I've got the, the sort of the same figures here as you. Average position in the last 10 years, fourth, basically. The 10 years prior to that was 8.7, so we'll say ninth. But if you cut that 10 years in half and look at actually the five years, it was, it was sixth. You finished fourth, fifth, fifth. There was an eighth and an 11th in there, admittedly. But you were clearly already on an upwards trajectory before this 10-year period. And I think looking at you as a club, Spurs are a huge, huge club. You've 
pretty much consistently won silverware throughout the sort of the fifties into the nineties, not to the level of a club, say like Manchester United, who obviously for years were just winning stuff at a ridiculous rate. But you're also you're not a Crystal Palace or a Southampton that have just come out of nowhere to now find yourself in this position like, well, how have we got here? You've got a team yeah. filled with international it's, it's not there's not it's not a fairy tale story by no. any stretch. No. No. And I think, I think looking at your team the other day, your squad was 295 million plus Bale, who I don't know how much you paid him a week. I don't know whether that's being confirmed, but he's on 600k a week at Madrid. So even if you're paying half of that, I don't know whether that's likely. That's 300k yeah. a week still. And then I think obviously the huge elephant in the room is, is Harry Kane. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you've got the best, either depending on who you ask, the top three player in the league. And again, who you ask, the best striker in the world, arguably. And I think yeah. having him in your team naturally is going to raise expectations. And you say, like, historically, you've, you've done this, you've done that, you've finished here, you've finished there. But historically, you haven't had Harry Kane or really. Yeah, Har- Harry, Kane, Harry Kane is an element in this conversation that is really difficult to quantify. Yeah. Because like, then if, if you we talked about the history, then if, if you talk about the finances, yes, a lot of money spent, but... A lot of every club spends big in the yeah. Premier League oh, now. So we're yeah, we're we're fifteenth for net spend over the last five years. We're seventh in gross spending, and an average league position in that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know we're finishing the top four pretty much every year of that of that. So I think we will be punching above our weight financially. But then, like you said, we you haven't spent run. any money on Harry Kane, and he's a two hundred million pound player. So yeah. difficult to quantify that. But then on the flip side is like how much of that, of Harry Kane can be put down to having a good structure at the club, having the right coaches, oh, yeah. having, yeah. appointing the right manager. Obviously, a lot of some of it is his own characteristics, his own hard work, of course, mm-hmm. his own ability. Of course it is. But I don't think you can overlook that from a from a point of view. But no, what, what I'm not. saying about that is I, I get your point, but I think it's really hard to quantify how much either way that that, that, that boosts the argument. Um, but... Because I think an, another element to this is possibly the underappreciation of what being a consistent top six side is. So you talked about previously, like that Tottenham were knocking on the door of the top six, or had even you know had periods in the top six in the previous decade, two thousand one to two thousand ten. I think twice under Yol, once under Redknapp. Um, but there have been plenty of clubs that have flirted with that top six, broken temporarily and then dropped out and some of them have dropped to like deep dark levels so you're talking like Newcastle in the 90s and then under Robson Leeds mm-hmm. at the, in the early 2000s Aston Villa Everton yeah. three of those four clubs have been relegated mm-hmm. since breaking to the top six so to achieve to like to achieve that consolidation that consistency I think is like a quite an underappreciated achievement and and to, to like kind of sanity check me on this I went outside the Premier League and did a bit of research, Aaron, if you'll entertain yeah, me watching for a couple of minutes look forward to um, about the top six positions in the other major European leagues. So when we talk about, you know, the top European leagues, I think people are aware we're talking about um, France, Italy, Germany, and Spain alongside the Premier League. So mm-hmm. I did a bit of research into the, the top six in those leagues over the last 10 years. And across the five leagues, only six clubs had finished in the top 10 for all of the last 10 seasons. So you're looking at Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, PSG, Man City and Spurs. 
Now, for me, for Spurs to be in that company, they don't really have a right to be in that company based on, you know, the two combinations that we've already spoken about, which is financial power and kind of history of achievement. So history of achievement and financial power, Barcelona and Madrid buy and fit into that. Yeah. And then financial power more so in the last decade, Man City and PSG above anybody else in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's little spurs in there alongside them. Now, of course, caveats that are quite a few Spurs finishers, fourth, fifth, third, second, a lot of the others, first, second, first, second. Yeah. But for that level of consistency for a side like Spurs, I think is a fun, is, is, is definitely yeah. an overachievement. It's definitely, yeah, I agree. It's definitely, it's definitely an achievement. Um, but again, I don't know whether I would agree that in that time, having a team full of essentially international stars and the best striker in the world and not not the level of investment as a, the same as a, a City or a Chelsea or a United, but still a def- decent level of investment. I don't. I still don't know whether I'd class that as a massive overachievement. Um, it's, it's undoubtedly an achievement, but I don't know whether I'd say that's a, a massive overachievement. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let, let me reshape it a different way because I think I think this is where I lost you a little bit in the WhatsApp group, which is when because, like I said, it is when you look at Spurs as a club now, it is a bit mm-hmm. difficult to look at where, what we've done um, and think we've overachieved. But let's take like a similar standing club than now and talk hypothetically. Yeah. So I would say the most comparative club in the Premier League now to what Spurs were ten years ago is probably Everton. So they've been in and around the top four, top six occasionally, but they drop off, change managers quite a bit, but now they've found themselves a good manager. Um, general, like, top half regulars, but don't threaten the top four or trophies, major trophies like that, which is what Spurs were 10 years ago, similarly. Yeah. Not a perfect match. But, but yeah, probably, probably as close as you'll get. Probably the closest we'll get. Mm-hmm. So what if Everton then would finish in the top six for the next 10 years... And then qualify for the Champions League five times, mm-hmm. including reaching a final. Would that ten-year span for Everton not be seen as an overachievement, based on the fact that I think they've only finished in the top six four, five times in in the Premier League previously? They've mm-hmm. never played in the Champions League. So going back to that horrible dictionary definition of overachieving. Yeah. It's definitely more than their standard or usual. Yeah. So what um, would you say about like, that hypothetical situation? I think hypothetically, if Everton right now were to go and do that, I'd say, yeah, that's an overachievement. The flip side of that is if Everton had a peak Harry Kane, spent, you know, a hundred million in four Everton, Everton have spent Everton has spent more money than Spurs in yeah, the last, I'm in the last I, few years. Then they have hypothetically moving forward over the next 10 years. Yeah, but in the next 10 year period, Everton went and spent 100 million in four of those summers um, and had a peak Harry Kane and a a squad that is onto the the level of Spurs as is now. I'd say, yeah, they've they've moved on. Everton, don't forget, a a huge, huge club as well. Yeah, that's what I would Again, I'd see that as, as progression. And possibly yeah. a bit of an overachievement, um, but again, I don't, I don't see, think I'd see it if, if they did comparable to Spurs. I don't think I'd see it as a massive overachievement because you'd expect them with that level of investment and that team to be doing what they're doing. If say Burnley were to go and do that over the next ten years with Burnley's team, 
then I'd say, yeah, you've got absolutely no right to be there. And in footballing terms, yeah, massive overachievement. Same as Leicester. We tried to look at Le- yeah. Le- Leicester's last 10 Premiership finishes and it was a pain to do because it went back into like the early 2000s because they spent, what was it, nine yeah. seasons in the Championship back-to-back. They've yeah. now obviously come up. I'm more than happy to write off the the championship, the the, the title winning season as an anomaly because it was the the biggest sporting um, upset of all time, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So even <laughs> writing that off, but if you take say Leicester and how they're now look like they're probably going to get Champions League football this season, just missed out on it last season. If they over the next ten years were to go and do what you've done. I'd say that was an overachievement because of where they've come from. But I think if you're already knocking on the door and then you just invest heavily and through hard work, whatever it is, you're lucky enough to end up with the best striker in the world. I don't see that as massively overachieving coming from basically, you know, knocking on the door and then getting through the door. I don't see that as a massive overachievement. And again, I say not running Spurs down, undoubted progression over the last 10 years. But coming from fourth, fifth to now, you know, four third, I just don't yeah. think it's a massive but, achievement. I don't. Those fourth, fifth finishes weren't that. Were, as I've kind of said already, weren't particularly regular before the last decade. They they did happen, but they weren't consistent, which is where Spurs have changed over the last ten years. Mm-hmm. But I think the, a point you did you you have raised there, kind of, which may have gone under the radar, was that you said like Everton, big club possibly underachieving so that's I think where your argument has more has quite has quite a lot of credit which is that if you looked at Spurs then in the early parts of the Premier League era through the 90s and 80s it's even like 70s whatever I don't well I, I, we can't go back and talk too far because we don't have the knowledge base for it really yeah. but yeah. arguably then Tottenham were underachieving for a long time and yeah. therefore this progress is not, I'm not saying it's bringing us back to par but it's the the stats that I've kind of listed out about league positions and whatnot previously was the club underachieving rather than its standard or usual because I would put Spurs in that similar Everton bracket historically like your Everton Aston Villa in and around there mm-hmm. in terms of cup competitions won we've won far fewer league titles but being like the kind of like the second tier of great English clubs yeah now I think Tottenham have changed permanently, regardless of what trophies they've won, the infrastructure they put in place at the club, I think will pretty much guarantee that we will always be a top club now. Yeah, yeah. I don't so, see you're going backwards from here at all. I don't, I, I don't, definitely don't see us going backwards to the extent that Everton, uh, sorry, that Villa, New, uh, Newcastle, mm-hmm. Leeds have by getting relegated and stuff like that. Tottenham yeah. will always be a top flight, flight club now. They'll always be a top half top flight club. They'll have Seasons outside Europe, seasons outside the top six, of course. Yeah. But I think that's changed forever. But the argument, I think a, a good element to the argument is, yeah, okay, maybe they've made a lot of progress now, but shouldn't like they were they were underachieving pr- prior to this decade mm-hmm. because I think you can yeah. argue that Everton hadn't underachieved. So yeah, I I, I get that. It, it, it's a very difficult argument. They're very difficult to, to debate to measure I think Um, and there are like elements of what's your definition of this what's the definition of that interpretations of stuff but you know I I, I do I do think we've we've definitely overachieved I think if we I think if we sat here in 10 years time you know when the pod is 
you know, second ranked on Spotify. Yeah. Um, that and Tottenham have achieved the same amount in, t- in the last ten years as we had in this ten years. You would say that we've significantly underachieved. Yeah. Because the, the 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 landscape has completely changed. But yeah, I, I I'm very proud as a Tottenham fan of what we've achieved last ten years, regardless of the fact we've we've not won a trophy. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think you should be as well. I think that's important to remember is that even if I don't agree that you've massively overachieved, I undoubtedly think you should be proud of what, of what you have achieved because I do think, despite the fact that you've not won any silverware, um, I think the point that you've just made about how, as a club, you've moved on a level now and that's more than likely where you'll stay is something to be to be absolutely proud of. And I think if someone was to say, all right, in the last 10 years would you rather do what you've done and move on to be a higher level or maybe win one token League Cup? I imagine, I don't know, I imagine you'd probably take the last 10 years in the hope that from 10 years from now, you'll be competing for better than the League Cup consistently. So whilst you can't measure it in trophies and stuff, I do completely agree that it's a 10 years as a a Tottenham fan you should be proud of. Uh, Yeah, obviously the, the... The expectations are different, but I think if you looked at the last 10 years Tottenham had, not winning any trophies, but being consistently at the top of the league and having those kind of European adventures compared to the last 10 years Arsenal have had, where they've won, I think, three FA Cups. Yeah. I would imagine just satisfaction levels among Tottenham fans are much higher than they are among mm-hmm. Arsenal fans. And that obviously is, is relation to the expectations of the club. But I think, you know... A vast majority of Tottenham fans are really happy with the last 10 years. And of course, we want a trophy now. Like five years ago, would we have swapped a League Cup for the Champions League, Champions League qualification? No. But like we've kind of done that bit now. We've seen it. And I think we've realised that we're going to be up there consistently, mm-hmm. Champions League, Europa League, stuff like that. So now, of course, we desperately want a trophy. Yeah. But I think looking back, they'd have taken the last 10 years rather than, you know, one trophy. Finishing and eighth every season, but eighth, winning yeah, a league yeah. cup or an FA cup. Yeah. yeah. So I think I I, I I can see that you do feel we've made progress, and I think that's what I'll have to settle for it. Mm-hmm. In the argument about pushing pushing the overachievement button too hard. Um, but yeah, so I think I'll have to I'll have to be content with with that view on things. Okay. Now, otherwise yeah. we could could go on for another yeah. another half another an hour. hour. Yeah, I think that's a fair point to agree on. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that we're still on, to- on, on speaking terms, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to the next bit, because it took us about two days to talk about anything else afterwards <laughs> um, from, from what's up. But we're moving on to another, I think, interesting discussion from the group um, last week, and um, but very different. And it was related to a report that was posted onto the group by our mutual friend and Man United fan, Pete, who, of course, has been on the show previously about um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka and there's a report in The Athletic which said that the Man United defender was considering playing international football for the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, having not yet been given a call-up by Gareth Southgate and if he wasn't, to be included in the next England squad, the next international break, that he would make that decision. Um, Pete was kind of like, don't blame him. Mm. Can't can't believe he's not been called up yet. We were like, I think that's a bit premature. So, what what are, what are your thoughts on Wambasaka's England career up to date, which is effectively nothing, and why it's nothing, and what his what thoughts on what his future might be at international level, or if you could advise him 
in, in that way, what would you say to him? I think um, I can see both sides of it. I think most people would agree that it's probably a bit daft that he's not had at least a cap by now. Um, I'm not saying that he should be starting every England game ahead of Trent um, because arguably not as much this season, but over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, Trent's been probably the best right back in the world, some could say. So I think in that sense, Wan-Bissaka's unlucky, but it's understandable. Um, but I think I would advise him, you're 23, like you've potentially still got another 10 years at the top, depending on you know how, how things go. Don't give up on it just yet. His name's obviously in the frame, um, but just stick it out for a little bit. I think the point that you made, and sorry to hijack it, is if it comes to the end of his career, would he be happier walking away now, um, playing for Congo and getting 80 caps, but never really achieving anything, or sticking it out, perhaps not playing as much for England, but getting 30 to 40 caps and going to two, three major tournaments? Um, I imagine most people would pick the latter. Um, and I'd advise him to probably do the same. Yeah, I think like an important caveat to put to any of that kind of debate, which I, that would like, I completely agree with what you said. And that's obviously coming from us, where we don't have his Congolese heritage. We yeah. don't know how close he is to that element and stuff mm-hmm. like that. We don't know how big a part that plays in his family life. So that's fine. But I, I would say just like taking emotion out of it, the England career that you outlined for him would be a bigger achievement for him than the Congolese one. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's not that isn't our decision to make, but that's that's our. I think we both agree on that opinion. Yeah, I think that the point you made was right about that. You know, he's got a lot of time left. He's only twenty three, um, and if he was kind of the finished article as such as a player, twenty seven, twenty eight, and hadn't been capped yet, then. I would understand the decision a little bit more if he were to make it. I think, like, you know, people forget he's only been a right-back for a handful of years because he was he was converted at Crystal Palace on the back of a training session against Wilfred Zaha. So, like, as good as he's been for Man United and Crystal Palace, he's still got quite a bit to learn about yeah. the position. So he's got some improving to do as a, as a player. So if he, if he feels he's done as much as he can and, and like, he can't get any better and he's not getting any recognition by England, all power to him to look elsewhere. But I, I would say it's a bit premature at the moment for him to be, yeah, to be giving up on that. But I, I, we all agreed, didn't we, that based on kind of the rotation policy and handing caps out yeah. over the last few years, it does seem strange he hasn't, he hasn't got one. Yeah, and um, absolutely. When you look at some of the players that have been capped over the last few years... It, it does yeah. seem sort of almost absurd that he doesn't have at least one. Um, yeah. But I think... Here's a list of those who've been capped since 2017 by Southgate. So Dominic Solanke, Lewis Cook, Jack Cork, Nathan Redmond, Lewis Dunk, Fakeo Tomori, Jude Bellingham. So yeah. not not no bad players in there, but, you, you know, and a couple of really good prospects. But mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would argue... Who deserves doesn't deserve a cap if they do. Exactly. Of course, right back is a particularly competitive position yeah. for England at the moment. You've got Trent, uh, Walker, James, Trippier, and mm-hmm. then a load of others behind Wan-Bissaka. You know, Yulampti's, Matty Cash, etc. So, so many options. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, another one, by the way, it's been capped. 
in recent years. Um, so it, 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 a lot depends, I think, on the communication that that has happened between Southgate and Wambasaka. Yeah. Because for me, like, he he definitely did, his form definitely deserves recognition. So Southgate's in touch with him and he's saying, "You're doing really well. You know, at the moment I'm using this formation with a back three and wing backs, and I'm not sure where you fit in. But like, try working on this, try working on this, and you know, mm-hmm. Kyle Walker's injured. I can bring you in to cover that back three, body blah, blah. And there's that communication there. I think Wambasaka would be a little bit premature to make yeah. a call like that uh-huh. if there's nothing from him. If yeah. Southgate, you know, picking James and everybody out. else, and just like yeah, kind of like freezing him out, then I think he, he he would have every right to be a little bit miffed about that. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I think so he's, he, like you said, he's just he's just unlucky that he's coming through in in a time when we are blessed with right backs who arguably in different areas are all more more skilled than he, he is. So undoubtedly Trent is a lot better going forward than him and if we're playing with wing-backs you'd much rather have Trent out there than Wambasaka. Wambasaka for me is probably the best defensive fullback in the league. Very, very rarely see him get skinned. Um, yeah. So, and we don't tend to play with a fullback like that unfortunately. The, the, where he where he brings undoubted skill is not something that, that we currently utilise in the formation we play um, and I think he's just perhaps a bit unlucky in that regard yeah I definitely think of unlucky unfortunate in terms of his international prospects so far but I wouldn't give up on them just yet no, you know I managers change quickly they change ideas quickly um, he, he could soon soon be given his opportunity and take it so if you if you were Gareth Southgate Aaron who would who would you be taking at right back um, to the to the Euros this summer <laughs> Um, I'd take oh, it's a hard one, isn't it? I think you've probably got to take Trent. Um, I'd take Kyle Walker as well because obviously he gives you he has played at left back at times for City, which obviously much better on the right, but also he can play on the right hand side of a back three, which yeah, and I think his, his covering pace is is a huge asset to have, especially when our other centre backs, Harry Maguire, etc., aren't, aren't naturally the quickest. Um, yeah. I think having Kyle Walker in there to, to cover. Is, is is massive, especially at international level, where um, the the pace is a lot quicker. Yeah, I, I agree. I would go for the same two, and then I think I would I would have like Wambasaka covering Walker from that defense point of view because he won't have a lot of experience in it, but I think he would he would be quite well suited mm-hmm. to playing on the right of a back three. But then, like say, if Trent went down, I would have somebody else ahead of Wambasaka, probably Reese James, maybe even in terms of like playing five at the back, maybe even someone like Kieran Trippier. Um, who Southgate seems to like a lot. Yeah, probably yeah. probably not Trippier, probably James, but it, there is a lot of stiff competition. But I think if if we could give a message to, to Aaron Wan-Bissaka, and I'm sure he's not... Sort of tuning in. Yeah, it would be uh, stay patient, wait for your chance, because uh, you're a very good player, and hopefully when you get it, you will take it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a little bit of a sample there of playing England manager... And we're going to do that a little bit more now in our Fun Bind 11. So based on the Wan-Bissaka theme, we are looking at an England 11 of players who didn't receive as many caps as they deserved. So originally we were going to go uncapped, but turns out it was hard. we'd have just been saying names from the 40s. Yeah, that we didn't really, really know like, oh, Chopper Harris. I can't, I can't yeah. justify why Chopper Harris should have had an England call-up. Should have had 60 on his name alone. Um <laughs> 
yeah so and then we went we so we generally didn't want to put a cap number on it like 10 caps 20 caps we just thought you know players who didn't get as many caps as their club reputation club performances warranted Mm -hmm. um how did you find this Aaron because I found this quite easy in some positions and incredibly hard in others yeah same I actually really enjoyed doing this one um because I think a lot of it is going to come down to opinion which will be make it a bit more of a debate which will hopefully be a bit fun um, yeah. But yeah, same. There's some positions I looked at and I was like, God, how am I meant to pick there? And then there's other ones where I was sort of scraping the barrel. But I've come out with a team that I'm actually sort of quite happy with. Um, I've tried to stick to players that I feel like we both know and we'll be able to yeah. discuss and justify a bit more. Um, and I've also tried to go for players who it looks like, well, by by now in their career, I could I could say they should have more. Like, so I've not gone for say someone like Phil Foden, who I think's only got two caps yeah, yeah. because he's undoubtedly yeah. going to go on and get God knows how many more. Um, yeah. So I've tried to see players where you can look at him and go, yeah, by this point in his career, he either should have had more caps or this guy's missed the boat now. So it should be a good one to do, I think. Yeah, no, I I think so, and I think like I, I I've gone in a similar vein to you that I've tried to do players from the recent era in in the most case and i think because of that there are a couple that aren't great shouts okay. but we'll but we'll, we'll at least know them i have got two slightly older ones that i know about through my tottenham connection so i'm, I'm clearly pushing a strong tottenham agenda on this week's pod <laughs> but um feel free to dismiss me on them um when, when, when we reach them so um Let's start. I, I, by the way, I assume it, you know we're playing four four two as a traditional Englishman, right? Or have you got something? Uh, I don't think I don't, I, I don't have four four two. I was I was I was more mocking. Um, yeah, actually, no, I can I can definitely shoehorn this into a four four two. Oh, lovely! Well, I mean, straight away you've got an advantage. Yeah, I've got, got some sort of weird I mean, four three three with three strikers, three central strikers in it. So. Oh wow, well, that's not very English. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mike I'm not, Bassett I'm not, would not be happy. No, no, I'm not absolutely thrilled with my side. I'd be if this was my side on the first day of the season. I'd be knocking on the door to the chairman, telling him I needed a couple of signings, especially a winger. So, without further ado, let's let's crack on with yeah. your goalkeeper, Aaron. Um, so one I think we've discussed in previous on the pod. Um, someone that's still playing the prem at the moment, gone for Nick Pope. Um, Currently, only got four caps: one in 2018, one in 2019, and then two in 2020. Um, he's pretty much undoubtedly been one of the best um, goalkeepers in the Premier League for a few seasons now, um, especially one of the best English goalkeepers. And I think when Jordan Pickford has made so many sort of high-profile errors, um, and certainly hasn't been faultless, um, Pope's quite unlucky that he hasn't been given the nod. I think on more than four occasions. So, yeah, yeah, I've gone for Nick Pope there. Yeah, I think Pickford's Premier League form has obviously been very shaky. Mm -hmm. Hasn't really let England down yet, but there's definitely been some concerted kind of media pressure and fan pressure to give somebody else a go. And I think Pope would be top of that list. So I think that's a good shout. I think goalkeepers was tricky because actually... Really hard. Probably went, went through, yeah, we went through like two eras of having very established number one goalkeepers that were difficult to budge. So I think like you've talked like Seaman era kind of took up most most of the nineties. Yeah. And then Joe Hart took up most of the first half of the twenty tens when Joe Hart was actually very good. Um 
So kind of had to try and squeeze somebody in in the middle. And I've gone for I've gone for Ben Foster. Yeah. Okay. Um, who's only got eight caps spanning seven years. And I think the he's been he was one of the most consistent goalkeepers in the Premier League over over a sustained period. Um, and I think he retired effectively retired from international football in 2011 after a fallout with Fabio Capello. Yeah. So he's probably only got himself to blame for having so few caps. But I just and we talked about Joe Hart then. I think so if he was if he was not retired from international football during that time, he might not have picked up many caps. But he'd have been in the thinking to then be number one after Joe Hart, which is where we've had some issues. Yeah. So I, it's not. A, I'm not. It's not a strong shout. He was the one that was on my radar as well. So I can. Yeah, I can see it. I think. Yeah, him ruling him out himself out. Um, sort of goes against him a little bit. And yeah. then also I looked and he he spent a few seasons outside of the the prem, which probably didn't help him massively. Um, but I don't think anyone would be able to argue that he deserves more than eight caps because he's been one of the most consistent English keepers over throughout pretty much his entire career. Yeah. But kind of, we're coming at an angle and by the way, if you can hear a rumbling sound in the background, it's my, it's my dishwasher. So please, um, please forgive me for that. Um, if, if we're going on the account of like more caps than they deserve, I think ruling yourself out of international football in hindsight for, for a reasonable period of time might Take him out of the equation and yeah, go with Pope on this. Him a bit. Yeah. So are, are you happy with Pope? Yeah, I'm happy to, to go with Pope. Yeah, I don't I don't think we either of us had a particularly strong shout there, and it hopefully will no. get stronger. I think Pope is more probably more deserving of a ghost, especially considering the parallels between well not parallels, comparing him and Pickford's recent Premier League form, which are very unparalleled. Mm -hmm. Okay, hopefully a little bit more quality in the team in defence. Do you want to start off with centre-backs, please, Aaron? Sure. Um, so I think we've got two, well, one very good shout here, um, and a reasonable one. Uh, so I'll go for the first one. I've got Steve Bruce, who was just weirdly yeah. never capped for England. Um, yeah. Won three Premier League titles, three FA Cups, a League Cup, Cup Winners' Cup and more um, at Manchester United, and he was captain throughout most of that. Um, he was centre-back and captain in the Premier League domestic team of the decade. He was described wow. by Alex Ferguson at the heart of the United defence in that era. Um, would just run through brick walls for the club. At one point, he was ruled out and scheduled for an operation um, on a hernia, of all things. Um, and he basically he, he signed himself out of the hospital to go back and play because an injury crisis hit United. Um, and that was in 1992 when I think they then went on to win the league. So, and yeah. despite all of that, he weirdly never even got a single England cap, which is just yeah. almost unimaginable now. Um, very, very difficult United. to explain that, isn't it? Yeah. Imagine it, now, yeah. Just one, not even to get one cap. I mean, if he had 10, you could say, oh, they tried him, but the way he played didn't fit with England or whatever. But to have Manchester United league winning captain, um, to not even be given a solitary cap was just, was just baffling. Yeah, completely agree. He is one of the names that first comes to, to mind when we talk about like best players not be capped or yeah. you know, most unfortunate international career. So I've got Bruce in as well. Oh, cool. Um who have you got alongside him? Uh, I've got one that I imagine we'll both be able to comment on a little bit. I've got for uh, Jonathan Woodgate, who only right, had yeah. eight caps for England. Um undoubtedly 
sort of, we'll both perhaps maybe be a little bit more qualified to, to comment on this because we'd have watched him a lot more than other people, but undoubtedly one of the most talented defenders of his generation. Um, yeah. His later career was obviously blighted by injuries, but how many English centre-backs get signed for Real Madrid? Um, he, was, yeah. he, he was that good. I remember his first game back when he signed back for Borough, um, we played Arsenal and to say he had Thierry Henry in his back pocket would be an understatement. Henry was just stood there shrugging his shoulders. He just he couldn't get away from him, barely got a kick. Woodgate just strolled through it. He was so, so good. And except that in yeah, the later part of his career, probably wasn't going to get many England calls up because his career was very much disrupted by injuries. But to, to only get eight England caps in the earlier part of his career when he was playing sort of Champions League football, Europa League football, and then off the back of that, got a move to Real Madrid. Um, feel like in that time he should have he should have amassed more than eight England caps. Yeah, um, I saw I saw Woodgate and uh, yeah, very very good player, very very good player. Um, I think him and the next guy that I'm going to mention very unfortunate with injuries and with the fact that England did have an elite group of centre halves around mm-hmm. the time that they were playing. No doubt, your Campbells, Ferdinands, Terry's, even people like Jamie Carragher. Um, I've I've gone for Ledley King. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no surprise. Uh, I, I just can't tell you how good this guy was. I mean, he spoke about Thierry Henry there. Like he said that King was the hardest opponent he's ever faced. Mm-hmm. Um, Twenty-one caps, so like not a ha- bit more than a handful. But I think for a player of his ability, it's a shame he didn't get more. And that's the angle I'm coming at here. I I'm not saying I can't understand why he only got twenty-one yeah. caps uh-huh. because always injured. Um, lots of good centre-halves in front of him. And he actually, I think he probably got half of those England caps playing in holding, midf- in holding midfield for Sven. Mm. Um, that's how good a footballer he was. Um, so, yeah, that, that, from that angle, I'm not saying he, well, I can't believe he didn't get picked more. I'm just saying it's a shame he didn't get the amount of caps his ability deserved. Mm-hmm. And Woodgate, is, I think, is in the same category. Like, I don't think you look back and think, how oh, was Woodgate not oh. getting picked ahead of Terry? Yeah. But you do think, or a player that good should have got more than eight caps. Yeah, yeah, and that's that essentially the exact same view. I'm not saying, oh god, I can't understand how he only got eight caps because he can understand he spent half his career on the treatment bench. It's just he was good enough to be a sort of generational talent, and I think this is exactly the same for Ledley King. Um, yeah, I think my personal opinion is that if Ledley King had stayed fit, he'd have been the best out of the lot. He'd have been better than Rio, better than Campbell, better than Terry. Uh, uh, he was that that good. Um, yeah. So it's not a case of I feel like he was robbed. It's just yeah. it's a shame that he didn't. And if he'd have stayed fit and been able to train, he'd have he'd have been our centre back for for years. It's nice nice to hear that point of view outside of Tottenham circles. To be honest, oh, I think I, I don't think many people genuinely buy that argument from Tottenham fans. Yeah, I, I think it, it was know, he, he was just as good as them. You know, he was Ferdinand levels, if not if not better for a short period. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Cracking player. It's a very tough call. Very tough call. Shall we just think about it a little bit while we talk about our fullbacks and then come yeah. back to it well, in a couple of minutes? Yeah. Well, um, I hope you've got a good right back, Aaron, because I don't. I've just gone with someone we've already discussed to make it easy. I've just gone for Wambasaka. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, it would be odd to, to not. Yeah, or to not put him in there. Um, yeah. Won't dwell on it too much. It's everything we've said before. It just seems strange that he's not even had a cap by now. So I've got Wambasaka at right back. Um, Left back was a little bit harder, um, but I've gone for Aaron Creswell. So he's got 214 Premier League appearances for West Ham. Um, mm. I'm not saying, you know, he's, he's Roberto Carlos, but he's consistently been one of the, 
the most solid um, and better left backs in in the Premier League for years now. Um, he's won West Ham's Player of the Year, the Hammer of the Year, but in all of that, he's only got three England caps. Which, yeah, I'm not saying I oh, should have been our first choice left back, but he's definitely good enough to have picked up more than three caps over that period. Yeah, kind of the, the way that they name really big squads now and mm. you know play two or three games per international break and rotate that through. He is a little bit unfortunate not to have, not to have more than that. I, I don't. Although with Cresswell, I don't think. I don't think he's ever been viewed as one of the best left backs in the league. Like I think he's a possibly unfairly, but he's a he's a good solid. Yeah, he's just a good player, solid with, with, great, with, with great delivery, isn't he? Six, seven out of ten most weeks, and then maybe an eight or a nine here or there. But he's never yeah. going to let you down. He's just a solid player. Um, yeah, dependable. You know what you're going to get from him. So it just feels weird that across with 200 plus Premier League appearances, it's not like we've been blessed with incredible left backs for years and years and years. Take out not since Cole. not since Cole, have we? Yeah. yeah. So um, it feels weird. I would, yeah, to... I wouldn't say it's been a problem position, but no. we don't have a standard. Yeah, you're right. He, he's unlucky. Yeah, I think he probably isn't lucky not to get more caps. Um, I've gone at left back with Nigel Winterburn. So going back a little bit now, mostly through the 90s, but mm-hmm. he was like a constant and pretty much one of the Premier League's best ever defensive lineups. That are, that obviously the famous Arsenal back for 1 0 to the Arsenal. Um, and the only one, two caps. So if you think about now, someone who played at Arsenal, left back for Arsenal, or I mean, Arsenal were better than they, were, they are now back then. So say if someone was playing left-back for Chelsea, like Ben Chilwell, yeah. and did it for seven years or whatever, very consistently, and got two caps, you would think that would be really odd. Strange. Yeah, agreed. Um, especially around the same period, like players like Graham Lasso got 34 caps. Tony DiRigo, who? Well, I only know him from the Graham Taylor documentary, to be honest. <laughs> um, but he got 15 caps. So... He was a bit unfortunate with when he was never going to pick up loads of caps because he was sandwiched between Stuart Pearce and Ashley Cole. Yeah. But two caps Seems for a player that was at the top of the Premier for that long is 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 scandalous, really. Agreed. Um, so I would say Winsburn has a stronger case yeah, to definitely. be capped more often than Cresswell. Whereas at right back, I've only I've put this guy in because I've put him in for Mr. Fish Senior, really, Aaron. It's my my one throwback Spurs player, Steve Perryman. So I won't go into too much details, but Steve Perriman only got one England cap, age 32, when he got it. And he made he was Tottenham's all-time appearance maker with 700 appearances. Um, pretty much all were in the top flight. So, you know, captain of the UEFA, two-time UEFA Cup winner, FA Cup winner. But, I mean, I, I think that was a, a kind of a, a pluck out of, of nowhere, really. Because yeah. um, I couldn't really find many options. And I'm not actually convinced and... Simon will kill me for this, that he was a right-back. So, uh, <laughs> so I think Wan-Bissaka, based on the debate that followed, that preceded this segment, would be a, a more accepted choice by our viewership. Yeah. If, if, you're, if you're happy with that. Um, King or Woodgate, then? What are you saying? Because like, I, I honestly don't mind. I, really I don't. Me, it? I think... I think King's peak ability was higher than Woodgate's. Um, both very good players, but I think King's was higher. Um, 
who did get a few more caps and did yeah. feature at major tournaments for England. So did have get a bit of exposure, whereas Woodgate never really got. I, I, I couldn't tell you now an England game that Jonathan Woodgate played. No, I can picture him I in mean, that old kit. The, like, this pretty much plain white Umbro one. Yeah, but, when he had the really short hair. Yeah, yeah. With, like, the yeah, no, I, 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 I can see that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he, he never did anything with notes for England. I'd say it was eight, eight caps. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably, in that case, probably lean towards Woodgate. They're both ridiculously hard done to only get any amount of caps. I mean, what, less than 30 caps between them is, is a travesty. Um, yeah. But I'd probably lean towards Woodgate probably even more, because, like you say, he never got to sample a major tournament. Um, never even yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense. I had to go Woodgate because he didn't really get any international recognition, like kind of cap here, cap there for random games. Yeah. Whereas I think King was always talked about yeah. by as an option for England, either at centre-half or central, uh, or as holding midfielder, mm-hmm. but injuries kind of robbed him of it. So in terms of like international recognition that their ability warranted, I, I think Woodgate probably just nicks it. Yeah, that sounds fair. So, Woodgate and Bruce then at centre halves with Nigel Winterburn at right back, uh, left back, sorry, and at right back, podcast star Aaron Wambasaka and in goal Nick Pope. Um, into midfield, um, so you're going kind of a 4 4 2. Do you want to start us off with your two central midfielders? Yeah, so um, the first one, again, I imagine probably quite an obvious one when you look at players that serve more England caps. Um, I've gone for Michael Carrick. So he did get 34 yeah. caps, which is not to be sniffed at, but he should have had so many more. Um, he was heart of that Man United midfield, really, between 2006-2013. Uh, they won five Premier League titles, the Champions League, yet somehow Carrick's ended his career with less England caps than Owen Hargreaves. Um, I feel like he was a bit unlucky and a bit underrated. Um, genuinely feel that if he was Italian or something, they would have built a, a team around him for years. I think he was a really, really talented footballer. Um, and to only end up with 34 caps just doesn't really... His talent and, and his achievements as well, not just how good he was, but he, he achieved a lot as well. So to only get yeah. 34 caps doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, I've got Carrick as well. Um, I think it was at a time where the midfield desperately needed some balance and it had a lot of good players in it, a lot of good options. But Carrick was never really given an, a fair chance. So you might think 34 caps, yes, but he had one. He played one game at a major tournament for England. Um, was never really given an opportunity to bring that midfield together with you know Lampard, mm-hmm. Gerrard. I think it was probably Scholes was probably Scholes and Tashkir probably peaked and finished by then. But to bring a balance to that midfield, Carrick could have been perfect because we saw that there was short-term success having a more defensive-minded option in there with Hargreaves. Yeah. But Carrot was a better player, yeah, no doubt. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think he's a, he's a shoe in yeah. um, Next to Carrick, I found this one a bit tricky because like, there was a couple I thought of those, like I saw some Danny Murphy and whatnot. But in the end, I went for a player who sets the record for the most Premier League appearances without an England cap, okay. which is Kevin Nolan. Now, you, you don't hear Kevin Nolan and think England international Kevin Nolan, but England, England were quite bad at handing out caps to people during an era where Kevin Nolan was 
a ten-a-season, ten-a-season midfield in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Jay Bothroyd, Matt Jarvis, Ryan Shawcross, Stephen Corker, Zach Knight, Bobby Zamora all got caps, and Kevin Nolan didn't get a look in. So I'm not saying he should have played 25 times for England, but I do think he was unlucky not to be yeah. not to be yeah. capped. Yeah, I never liked him, but I always thought he was decent. And yeah, to not get a cap after some of those horrendous names yeah. that you've read out there, I think he is yeah. really unlucky. Yeah, but please, please tell me that you've got somebody else to at least weigh up that option. I've got someone that I know from a, a separate conversation. He's still playing now, and it's someone that we're both uh, quite a big fan of. I've got James Ward-Prowse. So he's made 257 appearances for Southampton in the Prem. Um, obviously a set-piece expert. He's got the highest set-piece conversion rate since Optic Records began. Uh, yeah. Pep Guardiola described him as undoubtedly the best free-kick taker I've ever seen in my life. Um, I don't yeah. want to just put him down as just a set piece specialist though, because he's not. He's a he's a really really good Premier League player. Um, can play out on the right, in the middle, centre mid, cover up right back. He's the type of yeah. player you think you'd love to have in and around the squad as even just as a utility yeah. man, if nothing else. But he's only got four caps, um, and I think yeah. to be playing as consistently well um, at the top level as he is, um, with all the attributes that I've just mentioned, he's quite unlucky to only have have four caps. Uh, completely agree. Yeah, uh, big fan of James Will Prowse, um, and I think he probably suffers from the fact that he's playing at a smaller club. Yeah, and would yeah, I think he'd have picked up a lot more caps. Like I mean, you talk about like if you took him for Harry Winks at Tottenham, let's say Ward Prowse twice the player as Harry, that Harry Winks is. Yeah, Winks has got I think about ten caps. Uh, and he's always in squads um, mm-hmm. and Ward Prowse gets overlooked so I think he's he's very unfortunate in that regard um, so yeah I'm happy very happy with Ward Prowse in alongside Carrick with Kevin Nolan again haunted uh, you know <laughs> haunted by not being picked <laughs> in even Kevin. the England side <laughs> yeah so and another person I don't know I assume this guy will feature in the team I'm just not sure where. Mm-hmm. Another person playing at Southampton, playing all his career at Southampton, that was undercapped in my side, Matt Letizia. You got him? Yeah, I've got him, yeah. Yeah, where are you kind of shoehorning him in? Because he, he kind of could play as a 10, maybe stick him off, off one of the wings, or you could play him in the two up top. Yeah, so originally I had this team sort of plan out as like a 4-2-3-1. Um, yeah. And he was the sort of the, the middle of the three. Yeah, um, yeah. He was the pretty much the first person that I put down. There was yeah. There was no way I wasn't having him in it. Um, he's one of my absolute favorite ever footballers to watch. Um, yeah, it always just sticks in my mind. When do you remember like when we were younger and they used you just used to get like videos or DVDs of like two hundred best Premier League goals or whatever. Yeah, I had I had a DVD and it was like the top two hundred and fifty Premier League goals of all time, but. There was an entire section on it that was just Matt Letizia goals. He was the only player that had their own section. And it was ridiculous watching it. He was just so unbelievably talented. And I think he's another one, like you've just said about James Ward-Prowse, who was just hindered by the fact that he stayed at Southampton for his entire career. Um, he yeah. was the first midfielder to score 100 Premier League goals. I mean, bear in mind this is a midfielder. He had seasons of 20, 19, 25, 
and 20 goals and then countless other seasons of double figures as well. But a 20 and 19, a 25 and a 20, that's like peak Frank Lampard levels of, of goals from midfield. Yeah, he only yeah. got eight caps. I mean, if, imagine if Lampard wasn't getting even called up in his peak for Chelsea. Everyone would have been like, what the hell? But yeah, that's exactly what happened to Matt Letizio over his career. And it's pretty much, like you say, because he stayed at a, a, chose to stay at a smaller club. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think... I get the Lampard comparison in terms of the volume of goals, but they were very different players. He's more yeah. like a an old-fashioned 10. Like, so he would play as like the second striker. But he, he, so, yeah, it, the, the volume of goals, regardless, is very impressive, especially at a club like Southampton that, you know, they're not banging in 60s, no, 60s, 70s. goals from all over. Yeah. And and to, to, to take that responsibility on and keep them up every year. I think what was interesting about Letizia, I read an article about him, is that he obviously famously stayed at Southampton his whole career. Mm-hmm. And the two managers that he turned down to stay at Southampton were Glenn Hoddle, when Glenn Hoddle was manager at Chelsea, and Terry Venables, <laughs> when Terry Venables was manager at Spurs. Now, Venables and Hoddle also happened to be England managers. Yeah during Matt Letizia's peak years when he never got called up, especially after scoring a hat-trick for England B on the eve of France 98 and then not getting in the squad. Glenn Hoddle basically took Darren Anderson instead, didn't he? Darren Anderson, yeah. So um, I think Letizia, this team, we talked about on the the last podcast about like kind of the team being made for David Nugent or like, Letizia is kind of the icon of this team for me. Him and yeah. him and Steve Bruce probably. So, um, yeah, absolute shoe in. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely in the team, it's just kind of like where we might fit him in a system. Because I I don't really have any more midfielders, but appreciate my side is very imbalanced. So, <laughs> have you got some wingers? Yeah, so I've got a couple of wingers here. They're both going back a little bit. And um, first one again, a decent amount of caps. 37 caps. Um, I'm going for Steve McManaman. So, yeah. you know, across t- 10 years, he won FA Cup, League Cup, two leaguers and two Champions Leagues. Got the most assists in the league in 95, 96. Got team of the tournament at Euro 96. But yeah, he only got 15 caps in the three and a half years he was at Madrid, despite yeah. winning the Liga twice and the Champions League twice in that time. Yeah. Um, basically at the, the top of his game for, for over a decade at Liverpool and then Madrid. Um yeah, he only got one more cap than Sean Wright Phillips, who wow. again had a really good peak, but he very short peaked for about peak, three yeah. or four years, didn't he? he? Sort of broke onto the scene at City in 2003-2004, and he was already on the decline and was sold by Chelsea in 2007-2008. So for McManaman to be at the top of the game and genuinely winning things like Champions League trophies and only get one more cap than Sean Wright Phillips, it, it just felt a bit wrong and like he should have had more than that. Um and on the other side, I've got someone that I think most people won't initially agree with me, but he's someone I think is is as hugely underrated as a Premier League player in his career. Um, it is an Arsenal player, but I've got Ray Parler out on the right. Yeah. So, three Premier League winners, uh, FA Cup four times, plus others, um, 339 appearances in across the top divisions for Arsenal. Um, he was an ever-present, basically, the three t- seasons that they won the Prem. He made 25 appearances in the 04 season when the, the Invincibles. Um, he was instrumental in their double winning season of 97-98. He was man of the match in the FA Cup final and set up the winner for Anelka. 
And then he was another one who was controversially left out of the squad last minute in 98 by Glenn Hoddle. Um, I think, think he often gets overlooked how good he was. Um, he's far less glamorous than many of his contemporaries, Arsenal, such as Vieira, Lundberg, Henri Perez, etc. Um, but a lot of Arsenal fans will will consistently say that he's probably one of the most underrated players of his generation. Um, a massive amount of achievements, not just medal winning, but personal performances as well. Hat-trick in the UEFA Cup quarter-final, um, a 30-yard screamer, I don't know if you're against it, remember it, against Valencia in the Champions League quarter-final, uh, winner in the Champions League, in the in the FA Cup final, sorry, against Chelsea, um, and man of the match as standing captain when Arsenal beat Inter 5-1 in the San Siro. Um, he's still to this day he's rec Arsenal's record Premier League appearance holder, um, and he was just an ever-present in what was a very, very, very good Arsenal team, packed with players, yet for pretty much 10 seasons back-to-back, -back, he was just there week in, week out. Um, and to put into perspective the amount of caps that, despite all of that, he won, he got 10 caps, which is the same amount as Ricky Lambert and Harry Winks. So I think when you look at what he's achieved at the very top of the game, you probably make a very good argument for him being quite hard done to with the amount of caps he's picked up in that time. Well, I think you make a case for Parler that just can't be argued with. He falls a little bit, I guess, into the into the Winterburn bracket of that, like just being one of the top clubs, most successful clubs in England over a prolonged period of time, being a key player, like as you said, record appearance maker and a big game player as well that you outlined yeah. there clearly. Um, and never really got a chance for England. And I, I, I didn't do my research on this because I, I haven't got Parler. But I would imagine a lot of those 10 caps probably came as a stub as well. Yeah, just yeah. to guess. Yeah. So, um, I think Paula is a great shout. McManaman, I always think is a good shout. I, I did. I didn't really look at Paula, but I did look at McManaman and had your argument about like. I mean, this guy was a Galactico signed for Real Madrid, Liverpool playing for two of the biggest clubs in the world, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was not not like he didn't pick up many cats, but compared to other people. Yeah, picked up fewer caps than his ability and achievements um, deserves. I didn't put him in because I thought maybe his thirty-seven caps, you know, it's still a fair amount of caps. Yeah, even though Carrick, Carrick was a similar position. So I think both got a strong case. I'd like to suggest. I think Parler definitely goes straight in. Yeah, and maybe could we look at? all the strikers yeah. and then see if we could either use Letizia as a midfielder instead of McManaman yeah. or or put him up front with another striker, what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah sounds good. Yeah. To me. So we've got Ward-Prowse, Carrick and Parler in midfield. So if we say we temp if we stick Parler on the right to begin with mm -hmm. and then McManaman slash Letizia on the left and then we might move Letizia up front or as a 10 yeah. Yeah, to, to accommodate... Um, Accommodate McManaman. So, strikers-wise, I've got um, Andy Cole. Now, I was a bit split on this one because he had an incredible Premier League career, 187 goals. But it was always kind of a bit part player for England. But then his international record of one goal and 15 caps didn't didn't demand that he deserve, got, des got more caps. Mm -hmm. It didn't demand that he deserved more caps, I should say. Um, but I do think 15 for a man with his goal scoring record in the Premier League yeah. probably too few um, and then 
from a similar era, I've got Robbie Fowler. <laughs> so 26 caps, seven goals. Um, but I think the thing about Fowler, which made me more convinced than Cole, was that Robbie Fowler won his last England cap just after he turned 27. Seems crazy. So, yeah, and he did have an early peak in his career. He, he, his best years were before he was 27, but there was people like Darius Vassell, Emil Heskey got 90 caps between them, and they were playing like between about 2001 and 2004, five were like a lot of their caps. And Robbie Fowler was still 27, 28, 29, 30. So yeah. I feel like that. Mark, I feel like that Mark Lawrence and Skip then doing that. Um, but I feel like Fowler with his fin- natural finishing ability, goal scoring record would have been worth more caps in that, in that time period. Um, so they're my, my leading contenders up front. Who, who have you got? Um, so, I mean, I'm naturally going to agree with everything you said, because I, initially I had Robbie Fowler in my team and then swapped him for Andy Cole. Um, yeah. Purely on partly what you said, Andy Cole, the, the third highest goal scorer of all time in the Premier League, only really behind Shearer and Rooney. Um, with yeah. that, we've got 15 caps, I mean, five league titles, two FA Cups, um, a Champions League. He won the Golden Boot in the Premier League in 93, 94, still didn't get an England call-up. Um, he scored 15 in 1998. And then, again, our mate Glenn Hoddle decided not to take him and went on record publicly as saying that he didn't want to call him up for England because he thinks he needs eight chances to score, um, despite the fact that he'd been consistently... Top in the charts or near the top of the charts in the Premier League, pretty much his entire career. Um, and then, like you say, yeah, the flip side of that is you've got someone like Darius Vassell who scored 62 goals across his entire career, including Steve yeah. Turkey in the lower league. Yeah, he's got 22 England caps to Andy Cole's 15. So yeah. I initially had Robbie Fowler in um, and then, yeah, flipped him for Andy Cole based on I feel like Cole did it at the top for longer, like you've touched on. Fowler had. So he peaked younger and then was never really quite as good as he got older, whereas Andy Cole stayed at the top for longer. Um, yeah, he definitely did, yeah. Also, um, I think, yeah, Andy Cole being the third highest goal scorer of all time in the Premier League, it's, it's hard to look at that and justify how he can possibly only ever have 15 caps for his international. Yeah, especially like going back a step, we said about Ricky Lambert, I think he's got 10 or 11 caps. Yeah, Ricky so... Lambert's got 10 caps for England. So Andy Cole's only got five more caps despite being the third highest goal scorer of all time in Prem. Just seems yeah. seems absurd. And it seems And again, this is where the of those fifteen caps, I would I think probably about half would have been as a sub. Yeah, I think I think more were. I think he's yeah, he used to just come on for the last like ten minutes and then I think yeah. when you said he only got one international goal across fifteen caps. I imagine if you total up his playing time across those fifteen caps, it's probably Closer to four or five games in fifteen, oh um, yeah. So just seems weird, and again, it seems like it's always Glenn Hoddle who's who's making these decisions. He made a real ball up of that ninety-eight squad, didn't he? Yeah, refused to take Andy Cole because he needs eight chances to score. Apparently, um, opted not to take Ray Parler um, and Stephen. Uh, no, McManaman. Uh, McManaman, sorry, and wouldn't take what's he called Letizia either, and uh, famously Paul Gascon as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, good job, Glenn. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm happy with I'm happy with Cole. And then I guess the argument we're left with is Fowler or McManaman and the battle of the Scouts icons. Yeah. Um, whether to go McManaman on the left 
with Letizier playing off Cole or to go with Letizier kind of playing off the left, which is kind of a natural position for him, and then go Fowler up top. So, yeah, I think maybe answer my own question because you'd be shoehorning Letizier in. And we did say this is the Matt Letizier team in a, yeah. in a lot of senses. So let's get him in his best position, I reckon. Okay. So do you think Letizia at 10, Manama on the left, Parler on the right, Cole up top? Yeah, that sounds that sound, yeah, yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, so I think I think actually that's an exclusively Aaron Pretty midfield and attack, although we did have four of the same. Yeah, I was going to say we um, agreed on quite a few, haven't we? Yeah, I think it was... There, there were slightly more obvious cases across the midfield and strikers than there were... Mm-hmm. Um, across the defence. So, um, some good debate early in, like the Woodgate King stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think the cases you made for Parliament management can't argue against that. So, um, final side, Nick Pope and goal, Aaron Wambasaka, Steve Bruce, Jonathan Woodgate, Nigel Winterburn across the back four. A midfield four of Ray Parler, James Ward-Prowse, Michael Carrick and Steve McManaman. And then Matt Letizier playing off of Andy Cole uh, fun bind undercapped England 11 coming to a Masters tournament near you <laughs> bring them back that's all we've got time for on this week's episode of the podcast um, you can follow us on Twitter at Table44T1 and on Instagram at Table442 you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and if you have any suggestions for um undercapped England players, please drop us a tweet. Um and if you have any opinions on the other topics we discussed, the Spurs debate and Aaron Wamba Saxon's national future again, drop us a tweet and we will interact with you on there. Uh anything else to, to add, Aaron? No, just the usual thanks for listening, thanks for the feedback and interaction, guys. Yeah, thanks guys. And uh, we'll be back next week with a uh, a deep dive into what's been going on in the Premier League over the last fortnight. Um so yeah. Please tune in this week and next. See you soon. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.